0: Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, I'm Ben, uh, if I haven't met you before. I'm the the pastor who works with the youth and the young adults here at Summit Drive. And it's such a joy for me to be able to share with you all this morning. Uh, We're going to start off just by reading from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 11. And so uh, if you have a Bible with you, if you want to open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15... Uh, Right now, you can go ahead and do that. Uh, Let me just pray before we read this text. Living God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we thank you so much for a new year. We thank you so much for bringing us here together this morning, Lord. And we thank you for this text of Scripture. And God, we ask that you would speak to each of us through this text this morning. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Paul writes this, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, starting at verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. Well, welcome to 2023. A new year has arrived. 2022 is no longer a thing. Hard to believe it. Perhaps some of you stayed up past midnight last night, and if you did, and you're here 9 a.m. this morning, good on you. Good on you to get up early and be here. Uh, now, I did not stay up past midnight last night, not even close to it. Uh, but in the past, uh, my wife, Preeti, and I, uh, we've often made it a practice to get together, uh, sometimes with some other friends or some other family members, and, and just spend a time just praying together to usher in the new year. Uh, before we pray together, though, uh, typically what we'll do is we'll talk about some of the things that we're looking forward to in the year that's ahead. And as part of that, we'll talk about some of the changes that we want to make in our lives. And as I talk to other people right now, and as I read news articles, I don't think that we're the only ones who've ever thought about New Year's resolutions. According to a recent survey, Canadians set an average of 1.7 resolutions each year, and 62% of people find this practice to be beneficial. I don't know if perhaps the other 38% know that there's no point, because we're not going to live up to those resolutions anyways. I don't know, maybe. But with the new year, with the new year seemingly comes a clean slate and a chance to start afresh and to be different than we used to be. And many of us enjoy setting some goals about what we want to change in our lives as a new year comes. Now, what are some of the most common New Year's resolutions? According to another recent survey, for for 2023, the five most common resolutions include improve fitness, lose weight, improve diet, all three of which come as no surprise, at least to me, um, included in the top five this year also include these, include uh, improve mental health and improve finances as well. So what's your New Year's resolution, if you have one? Uh, Is it one of these, or perhaps something else? You know, it seems that for a lot of us, that question of, what do I want to change in my life, is at the forefront of our minds at this time. And that desire for change is not a bad thing at all. As the Apostle Paul writes the book of 1 Corinthians, the book that our scripture passage is taken from this morning, uh, he is also concerned about change. As a matter of fact, Paul deeply wants to see some changes happen among the people that he is writing to. See, the church in Corinth was one that was filled with a whole bunch of issues and problems. We see that many people in this church are marked with, with pride and arrogance. Sexual immorality is, is rampant among this group of people. Uh, we even find out about a man who's, who's sleeping with his stepmother. So there's some not-so-good stuff going on uh, in this community And so, Paul writes to them to respond to these issues. He urges them to put aside the arrogance, to stop sleeping around, to stop elevating one spiritual gift above the others, to have consideration for the poor among them, and the list could go on and on. He calls them, so to speak, to make some resolutions to be different going forward. And through this letter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, we discover that God's desire is that his people would be open to change. The church at Corinth, yes, and us today as well. But how do we change? How do we become different sorts of people? One of the most common answers we might hear is, try harder, put in more effort. This seems to be the sort of thing that's happening in the book of Galatians, another one of Paul's letters in the New Testament. Uh, There we read Paul say, after beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? It's easy for us to think that by pulling up our bootstraps, bootstraps, uh, mustering up more courage, trying harder, that we can change ourselves. And so, when it comes to our exercise routine, it's get up earlier, just do it. When it comes to our food habits, it's stop eating those things that you know aren't good for you, just knock it off. When it comes to our our spiritual habits, it's be more disciplined, stop slacking off. The pastor, writer, and leadership coach, Carrie Newhoff, says that 92% of people give up on their New Year's resolutions by the end of February. And I think that that number might be about right. And I wonder if part of the reason why is because we assume that change will come naturally in our lives if we just put in more effort. But it doesn't quite work that way in reality. Because the reality is that we are broken people. We're messed up people. Ever since the first people in the biblical story turned away from God to do their own thing instead, humanity... We've become turned in on ourselves. And by simply trying hard to fix ourselves and change, it doesn't exactly work. The Apostle Paul describes his own life change, a dramatic life change, in this morning's text. And let's hear now how he describes it, starting in verse 9. Paul writes, For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, Because I persecuted the church of God. And if you know anything about the Apostle Paul's story, uh, you'd know that this is true. At least this part about persecuting the church of God. Uh, This guy, he made it his goal to do whatever he could to squash the Christian movement. Uh, He was a man who hated anyone who said that they were a follower of Jesus. Uh, We even see him approve of the killing of the young preacher Stephen in Acts chapter 7. And so, if you feel like your life is too messed up to change, if you feel like in your life there's just too great of a gap between the person you are and the person that you think that you should be, if you feel like you're undeserving of God's love, that you're undeserving to be used by him, well, this guy's story says that there is hope. God loves you still. And he desires to have you and to use you And to make you new. And perhaps some of you, maybe you just need to hear that this morning. And how does that life change happen? How does the life change happen? Well, Paul goes on in verse 10. He says this. He says, but by the coercion of God. Nope, not quite. But by the commandments of God. Not quite, not quite. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. In Paul's story, it's the grace of God that transforms him from a violent man who persecuted Christians to being perhaps the most influential Christian missionary who's ever lived. And no doubt, his story is a dramatic one. He he encounters the risen Jesus in a vision as he's on the road to Damascus, but Paul stresses here that it wasn't a vision per se that changed him, but it was God's grace that changed him. And it's God's grace that changes us too. Here's an illustration from Tim Keller that shows how grace can change a person. He writes this The acclaimed foreign film Three Seasons is a series of vignettes about life in post war Vietnam. One of the stories is about Hai, a cyclo or bicycle rickshaw driver, and Lon, a beautiful prostitute. Both have deep, unfulfilled desires. Hai is in love with Lon. Lon lives in grinding poverty and longs to live in the beautiful world where she works, but in which she never spends the night. She hopes that the money she makes by prostitution will be her means of escape, but instead the work brutalizes and enslaves her. Then Hai enters a cyclo race and wins the top prize. With the money, he brings Lon to the hotel. He pays for the night, and he pays her fee. Then, to everyone's shock, he tells her he just wants to watch her fall asleep. Instead of using his power and wealth to have sex with her, he spends it to purchase a place for her for one night in the normal world to fulfill her desire to belong. Lon finds such grace deeply troubling at first, thinking that High has done this to control her when it becomes apparent that he is using his power to serve rather than use her, it begins to transform her, making it impossible to return to a life of prostitution. Grace changes everything. Grace is what changes our hearts. But that might raise this question for us. When we think about trying to change, trying to become different sorts of people than we are maybe right now, Uh, What does that mean in terms of the effort that we put in? Does that mean that, you know, if grace changes us, that effort doesn't matter at all? Well, let's listen to what Paul says next here. Again, he writes, "By, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. And then he says, No, I worked harder than all of them. In other words, yeah, I put in effort. I worked harder than all the other apostles. But he goes on, Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. The philosopher and writer Dallas Willard, he once wrote, Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. So will it take effort to change? Yeah, it it probably will. But it is God's grace that also empowers that very effort we put in. It's the grace of God that is the rocket fuel behind our transformation. So where do we see God's grace made evident in the world? Or put a bit differently, how can we even know that the creator of the universe is a God of grace at all? Well, Paul tells us in verse 11 of this text that there is a message that he and the other apostles preach, and earlier in the passage we see perhaps the clearest explanation of the gospel message in all of Scripture. God's grace is not just some vague force that floats around in the atmosphere. It's connected to this message where God's grace is on display. This is the message that has the power to change us, and this is the thing that is of first importance. Paul writes, starting in verse 3, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And let's just pause right there. You know, as we, as we come into a new year, and as we think about the changes that we might want to make in our lives, uh, perhaps it's some of these resolutions that are of first importance in our minds right now. And perhaps there really are some things that we need to reprioritize in our lives. Perhaps there are ways that we really do need to make some shifts in our calendar some habits that maybe we really do need to change, some specific changes that we really do want to make. And perhaps God really is the one who's impressing those things in our hearts. But what's of first importance, Paul? That Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. That is how we know that God is gracious. And it is this message that will ultimately change us. You know, I, I've read a fair share of books over the years, and uh, quite a few of the books that I've read have had something to do with personal growth or Christian living in, in some way or another, and, and often when I, when I pick up a new book, um, I often hear a, a, a similar message. It's a different message, but it's a similar message. And, and the similar message is, you know, if you just change this one thing in your life, then Everything is going to be so much better. And so, pray more often. Rely on the Holy Spirit in a new way. Reorganize your time differently. Prioritize Sabbath rest. If you just do that one thing, everything's going to be so much better. That sort of message, at least it seems to me, uh, often comes through. But Paul, he's not going to give us a magical formula or a new principle to apply to our lives of first importance, he says, actually doesn't have to do with what we do. It's not that you do this or that. It's that Christ, that Christ has done something that changes everything. And what has Christ done? Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised again on the third day This text right here, it focuses in on those central elements of the gospel story. Now, we recently celebrated Christmas, of course. And Christmas is a time where we remember what theologians often call the the incarnation. The incarnation, it's this beautiful reality. You know, we just celebrated this reality that the God who made everything, the God who made every planet, every star, the whole universe, and the God who, who rules and reigns as Lord over all, He became a part of his creation. God himself takes on human flesh in the person of Jesus, adding full humanity to his full divinity. And God himself comes and lives among us. But there's more to the gospel story than just that. See, Jesus entered this world on a mission to accomplish something. It's hinted at right in Matthew's gospel, where we read that Mary will give birth to a son who will save his people from their sins. And how could he do that? Well, in John's gospel, Jesus, God the Son, he repeatedly states that he was sent by the Father. Sent for a purpose. He had a mission to complete. And he tells us in John 12 that the hour where he will die is the very reason that he came. And so Jesus' obedience to the Father brings him to the cross, where he willingly lays down his life. And here, we see God's grace on display in its finest form. See, our own sin and our own rebellion against God means that we, human beings, deserve death. We deserve God's wrath, even, it tells us in Ephesians chapter 2. But Jesus comes, and he says, I'll take your place. As he dies on the cross, Jesus, who was sinless, perfect, the one who only deserved blessing, he experiences the most horrific death imaginable. And in that act, he takes our sin and the punishment that we deserve for it upon himself. And he does this so that we could have what we actually don't deserve, so that we could have forgiveness, new life, restored relationship with God. That is grace. Do you know that grace? Have you received God's grace into your life? Yes, Christ died for our sins, and he willingly did that out of love for you and for me. That is vital to the gospel story. And yet there's even more still. See, Jesus didn't stay dead. We read Paul saying here that that Christ was buried. Uh, Probably to highlight the fact that, yep, he he really did die on the cross. It's not like Jesus was hanging up on the cross, and then they took him down, they brought him to the hospital, and then a few days later, he started feeling better again. No, Jesus died, and he was buried. And then guess what? He was raised. Jesus came out of the tomb on the third day. As it says in Acts chapter 2, it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Jesus was raised again. You've probably heard that saying, that old saying, that nothing is certain except death and taxes. Who's heard that before? I think we've all heard that before. Well, taxes, I guess that's still a thing. But God has done something about death. Jesus is raised from the dead, and he will never die again. He now reigns at God's right hand as king of all, and he will one day return to restore all things. And the resurrection tells us that what Christ has done truly is sufficient to save us. It tells us that sin, death, and Satan are now defeated. And more, it tells us that there is true hope for us. That now, death is no longer certain. Only taxes are certain, right? See, later in this chapter, uh, we read that Jesus is the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep in him. In other words, just as Christ rose from the dead, death will not be our ultimate end either. For all those who place their faith in Jesus, who put their trust in what he has done through his life, death, and resurrection, we one day will be resurrected too. That's the promise. Death doesn't get the last word in Jesus' life, and it won't get the last word in our lives either. The resurrection says that there is true hope for us and for the world. But really, you might ask, a dead man coming back to life, I mean, isn't that a bit crazy? Isn't that a bit unreasonable to believe in? Well, if that's you, if that's your question, uh, I would love to have a conversation with you and chat more about that. Uh, For now, though, let me just say this. Uh, You know, Paul takes the next four verses in this text here in 1 Corinthians 15 uh, to talk about the many different people who saw Jesus after he rose again. Paul doesn't just tell us, this resurrection thing happened, and you better just believe it. No, he, he tells us in this document, which was written only about 20, maybe 25 years after these events with Jesus occurred, he tells, it, he tells us that, that there are a bunch of witnesses who saw Jesus alive. And the first people receiving this letter could go and talk to these people and ask them questions if they wanted to. That's exactly the point that Paul makes in verse 6 when he says that 500 people saw the risen jesus at one point and then he adds this line most of whom are still living though some have fallen asleep now certainly not everyone who knew these witnesses in the first century became followers of jesus and the, but the reality that that paul stresses in this public document that a whole bunch of people saw the risen jesus people who were still alive at the time that paul is writing this is at least evidence, and I actually think really, really good evidence, to suggest that this actually really did happen, that Jesus really was raised from the dead. Paul invites his first audience here, and the Christian faith continues to invite us today, ask questions, explore the real evidence, and if you do so with a heart that is open, you might just come to discover that Jesus really was raised, and that Jesus really is Lord of all. Again, I'd love to chat with you more about that, if that's your question. So what's of first importance? What's of first importance? Well, if Jesus really was raised, and Paul tells us that there are really good reasons to think that he was, then it is this gospel message that is of far greater importance than anything else. And this message... Changes everything. It changes the world and it changes our very lives as well. Tim Keller writes the following He says, The gospel is not just the ABCs, but the A to Z, or for us Canadians, the A to Z of the Christian life. It is inaccurate, he says, to think the gospel is what saves non Christians and then Christians mature by trying harder to live according to biblical principles. It is more accurate to say that we are saved by believing the gospel, and then we are transformed in every part of our minds, hearts, and lives by believing the gospel more and more deeply as life goes on. Yes, it's the grace of God, seen in the gospel of Jesus, that truly changes us. The gospel gives us a new set of lenses to look at the world through, to look at everything through. And as we rehearse the gospel story again and again, as we allow the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to sink deep into our hearts, God does this work of changing and transforming us to become everything he has made us to be. So what might it look like for this gospel message to shape every aspect of our lives today? Let me give just a few examples. It means that when we mess something up, when we sin, we don't just pretend that what we've done is no big deal. It also means, however, that we don't just wallow in guilt and shame. The gospel tells us that we are sinful and flawed, so sinful and flawed that Jesus had to die, and so we take our sin seriously and and we confess it to God when we sin. At the same time, though, The gospel tells us that we are so loved, so loved, that Jesus willingly went to that cross for us. And so when we mess up, we can move forward with our heads held high, with this humble confidence, knowing that God loves us and God is for us still. It means that when we face loss, yes, it hurts. It might hurt a lot. And we don't just deny the pain. We don't see suffering as an illusion, but we're also not filled with hopelessness. The gospel tells us that Jesus died, and then Jesus rose again. And so for our friends and our family members who have passed on, if they had put their hope in Christ, well, we're going to see them again one day. The gospel also tells us that Jesus one day is going to return, and, and he's going to wipe away every tear from every eye. It also tells us that Jesus even now empathizes with those in need. It also means in our work life. We don't only see our work as this necessary thing that we have to engage in to make money. But we also don't become workaholics who have our sense of value completely bound up in what we can achieve. The gospel tells us that we were created to engage with the world around us and to work for human flourishing, and so we do our work even with joy. But the gospel also tells us that our value doesn't come from what we can accomplish. It comes simply from the God who loves us. In my own work as a pastor, for me to let the gospel shape me has meant having grace for myself, because God loves me simply for who I am and not for what I can accomplish for him. You know, one of my seminary professors, he often said that pastors often have so much grace for everybody else and so little grace for themselves. And sometimes this has been the case for me. But when I believe the gospel, and when I I allow it to shape me and to sink deep into my heart, it helps me to come out of that. God has been oh so gracious to us. That is what the gospel says. So will you, today, and as we enter this new year, 2023, will you make the gospel of first importance in your life? Will you allow this story to shape you and change you above every other story and every other voice? Will you allow this story to define you and to be that thing that your life? is built upon. To be shaped by this message and to be changed from deep within will require that we continually rehearse the gospel story to ourselves, that we remind ourselves of this message in those many, many moments where we are prone to forget it. And as we move to the table now, we engage in a specific practice that Christians have done for the past 2,000 years in order to rehearse the gospel story. As we take these elements, the the bread and the the cup, uh, we open ourselves up to allow the Jesus story to shape us and change us again. Uh, One more thing I'll just say as well about this practice of of communion is that this really is something that is for Christians. And so uh, if you are a person who is here just exploring what the gospel is, exploring Christianity, well, we are so, so happy that you are here. Uh, And perhaps for for this, you might just want to stay in your seat and just observe uh, as, we, as we go through this process here, um, but uh, perhaps this is also an opportunity for you. Maybe this is an opportunity for you to place your trust in Jesus, maybe for the first time in your life, uh, to give your yes to him today. Let's pray at this time, and then we'll receive communion. God, we do thank you so much for these elements. We thank you for the bread and the cup and for what they symbolize. Father God, we thank you so much for sending your Son, Jesus, into this world. Jesus, we thank you for your willingness to go to the cross for us, that you willingly died for our sins. And we ask, God, that our hearts would be continually changed by this good news. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Earlier in, uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, in chapter 11, Paul writes this. I'm going to just grab my elements at this time, too. He writes this. He says, For what I received from the Lord, I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's take the bread together right now. And Paul writes this, he says, in the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's take the cup together now. Let me just pray one more time. Father God, we do thank you so much for the gospel message. The gospel message that centers on what Jesus has done for us through his death and resurrection. We thank you so much for the cross. The cross that says that, yeah, we've messed stuff up. We're actually so sinful and messed up that, that Jesus, you had to die for us. But the cross that says that we are so loved that Jesus, you willingly did that. Pray that this gospel this gospel story, this gospel message would continue to transform our hearts and be that thing that our lives are built on for this year that's ahead.